You gotta clap when the Spirit says clap. (laughs) We can't help ourselves. You all sound lovely. Okay, I'm going to make the case that everyone here comes to church for at least one spiritual reason. I know, I'm stepping out on a limb here because many equate the word spiritual with woo-woo, voodoo, (laughs) with irrational thinking. So on my way to offering a definition of spiritual that we can work with today, let me better understand what brings you up the hill this Sunday morning. Let's take an informal poll. And you can certainly raise your hand more than once. Who drove up today drawn by beauty? Woods, gardens, rocks, organic architecture, nature in all her glory. Who left the comforts of home to be with friends? Who came to make music and hear music? (laughs) Who came because there's an ache in your heart? Or there's great joy in your soul? Who came with a burning question? Or many burning questions? Who came because you promised? (laughs) (laughs) You promised to open up the church or help out with our children or bring cookies, provide transportation for someone, or make worship happen, or preach a sermon. (laughs) Who came because your children made you? (laughs) (laughs) Who came to complete their week or kick off the week, depending on how you count your days? So spirituality is at the heart of each of those questions with the word spirituality, I'm talking about finding meaning and purpose. Spirituality supports developing a set of beliefs about life and its mysteries. In each of the questions I asked are experiences and purposes. For example, the transformation of our perspectives from simply stepping into nature and the lure to be with fellow human beings, our tribe, that deep-seated urge to tell another the troubling or joyful circumstances of your life, and it's likely both, usually is, the struggle to find answers, the obligation of a promise, no matter how large or small, the fulfillment of a holy habit. Church is what you do on Sunday morning. like uh, an old t-shirt that's been stretched and tattered from years of use. The word spirituality has been dragged through the mud, bleached, hung out on a line, and used as a rag rather than a shirt. But I'm certain the word is still quite wearable, comfortable, and useful even. I am using the word today to describe human experiences and sensations that deepen our view. A spiritual moment is an aha, aha, aha moment. It can be subtle, 
or forcefully life-changing. I'm using the word spiritual to describe all forms of learning that encourage setting aside our egos and self-centered views. Now, I fully understand that we need our egos to navigate life, but they're also stumbling blocks. A strong, inflexible ego is like a walled garden, preventing us from seeing other realities over the wall, besides seeing realities besides from our own perspectives. And it takes practice to stop and face reality that's not just your own. It takes courage to take life on life's terms, to dive deeply into the truths. It takes discipline to lead a spiritual life. In Reverend Laurel Hallman's words, whatever the source of your awakening, of your spiritual awakening, it can be transformative, sustaining, deeply meaningful, and purposeful. It is the call to go within. It is the call to pay close attention to what is close at hand. It is the call to notice the feelings we have in the moment and to move beneath them to a deeper response, a deeper connection than our usual reactions and responses. In it is an invitation to dip into the underground river, as Ira Progoff calls it, of the singing river, that Harry Schofield calls it, or the call to greet life with open hands, as Henri Nouwen suggested, telling us to move into the inner spaces of our lives. So looking up at majestic, starry night sky or the abstract dancing colors of Aurora Borealis inspires questions of wonder. How do I fit into this amazing beauty? Will I ever see this again? Like this? How do I hold on to this feeling of awe? And then, just beginning to step outside the ego, how can I share and preserve this grandeur for the next generation? We have spontaneous spiritual moments throughout our lives. But what we do here in church is learn how to cultivate them to increase their frequency and solidity. A spiritual practice is the learning equivalent of practicing the piano, doing math problems, reading a piece of literature for deeper understanding. It is creating muscle memory, and it's rerouting worn brain habits to new pathways and even rerouting heart pathways the ones that are solid and cracking them open a spiritual practice is like taking your hands everyone do this to make a frame and when you do this you see better what's right in the middle of that frame 
So a spiritual practice gives us new insight. It helps us focus. And it helps us focus on both the outer and inner landscapes of our lives. It allows us to see the familiar in a brand new way. It encourages us to see the familiar with ourselves. I'm not in this, removed from the picture. Our egos at rest. So calling spiritual practices an educational endeavor allows us to turn to the work of Howard Gardner. I'm sure you know Gardner is the Harvard psychologist who developed the theory of multiple intelligences. Back when intelligence was measured only by standardized tests, think IQ. Gardner described different modalities or expressions of intelligence, and he revolutionized education. And you've likely heard his list of eight basic intelligences. It's been around for decades and now seems intuitive. You may know someone or you may be someone who is gifted in logic and math or excels above all other talents in music and rhythm. These are two of the eight intelligences. Someone with visual spatial intelligence is likely to become an artist, architect, computer, arch- computer graphics designer, or, and this is my favorite, a champion chess player. I always thought that was logic, but it takes a spatial understanding. 20 moves ahead. These different intelligences all operate together within all of us, but one or two tend to dominate. So Gardner explodes the notions of how each person can develop his or her intelligences to the fullest. But he's not done. Over time, with more research and input, he names three additional intelligences. Naturalist, existential, and spiritual. This triad of new intelligences is, in my opinion, integral to cultivating a spiritual life, to teaching your ego to step aside. Someone with a dominant naturalist intelligence has an abiding interest in nature and natural phenomena. They excel in pattern recognition and can map and chart relationships. So part of the story of our Unitarian heritage is reclaiming how the natural world informs our sense of self. Our 19th century transcendentalists pulled nature back into religious explanations at a time when the Bible was the primary source for moral behavior. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously begins his 1838 address to the senior class at Harvard Divinity School without a biblical text. It was radical. Quoting a Bible verse would have been the expected jumping-off point of any sermon or any formal theological speech by a minister. So instead, Emerson turns to the sensations of that particular warm July evening in Massachusetts as his sacred text, 
he begins, In this refulgent summer, it has been a luxury to draw the breath of life. The grass grows, the buds burst, the meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tint of flowers. The air is full of birds and sweet with the breath of pine, the balm of Gilead, and the new hay. Night brings no gloom to the heart with its welcome shade. Through the transparent darkness, the stars pour their almost spiritual rays. Man, under them, seems a young child and his huge globe a toy. A second strain of naturalist intelligence has also worked its way back into our tradition. Just in the last century, as a corrective for the seasonal Christian and Jewish liturgical cycles, frequently dropped when we imported the welcome news of humanism. But to reclaim nature's yearly cycle as a source of worship and learning, attention to nature is put back into the list of our sources of common wisdom. In fact, written into our association bylaws is this description. Spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred cycle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. So cultivating your naturalist intelligence is part of your work as Unitarian Universalists. And you have an ideal classroom here on Hope Hill. If you took an extra breath as your car nosed its way along our winding blacktop covered with yellow leaves, your natural intelligence may have leapt to the forefront of your mind and heart. The ecstatic sensation is a spiritual reorientation, an adjustment in your sense of place in the world. Chill, ego. You're not the most important thing around here. So these moments of spiritual awakening are directives for our morals and values. A relaxing of tight shoulders, a deep intake of breath is your body's way of retuning its brain and heart. And in this moment of heightened awareness, as you were driving up the hill, or when you recall that moment, you might resolve to take a step towards a more sustainable lifestyle. You might think, okay, I want to make sure my grandkids get to experience this beauty. And with this flash of an idea, you may make a promise to I'll at least bring reusable bags to the grocery store. I, I'll do that. Or you may be moved to investigate the ongoing work of Hope Church's Green Sanctuary. Because our egos are famous for their very short-term perspectives. So pumping up your naturalist intelligence supports a long-term view of life. Back to Gardner's other intelligences. A second one he describes is that existential intelligence. 
It has a concern with ultimate issues, with continuity of spirit between lifetimes, with the sense of relationship with beings of other planes and the cosmos. That sounds like woo-woo voodoo. Beings of other planes and the cosmos. And those are Gardner's words. But then again, on this day of the dead, Dia de de Muertos, an entire culture imagines, feeds, celebrates, recalls, and honors their ancestors. So we can view our ancestors and the dead as beings on another plane, stored in our memories. Family members, friends, even strangers who have died still hold sway over our lives today. The Day of the Dead is a powerful expression of existential intelligence. Our memorial tree at the back of the sanctuary is rooted in existential intelligence, as is our memorial garden just beyond the windows. The ashes and memories of Hope members beckon from this beautiful sheltered spot. Gardner gives the spiritual masters such as Gandhi and Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama as examples of existential intelligence. But I I don't think exercising this intelligence has to be that rarefied. And one purpose of our church is the same concern with ultimate issues, the big questions of life. How, who are we? How did we get here? How does the world work? What is most important? So together, we explore these life and death questions. And what common language should we use? And how do we temper our ideas with wisdom from this community, wisdom of the ages, and inner wisdom detached from our egos? It's work we keep doing over and over again. The last of Gardner's intelligences is the spiritual one. We use our spiritual intelligence to address and solve problems of meaning and value. It's the intelligence we call upon to place our actions and our lives in a wider, richer, meaning context. It's the intelligence best suited to assessing that one course of action or one life path is more meaningful than the other. And it's deeply entwined with the first two. All spiritual practices are designed to support, explore, beef up these three intelligences. A walk along the beach not only heightens our naturalist intelligence, but like the tide, allows ideas of ultimate concern and life's meaning to wash over our minds. So I've given you a tree with suggested spiritual practices and you might find some that surprise you. Deep listening, work, work as a spiritual practice. I just want to make the point that I think um, there are lots of choices to be had and that you are already 
likely in some way beefing up your spiritual intelligence. Each one of those branches and limbs are ways to learn how to give your ego a rest and see the world more clearly. I practice mindfulness meditation because it introduces me to my own inner library of ideas. Many of my racing thoughts, what Buddhists refer to as monkey mind, are ego-driven and they interfere. When my mind is agitated and distracted, my sitting, sitting quietly, using simple counting or breaths to focus my mind is a remedial lesson in existential and spiritual intelligence. And the lessons aren't exotic or, or mystical. It just allows me to shift my perceptions ever so slightly. So how do religion and spirituality fit together? I'm talking to those who claim to be spiritual, but not religious. I get that. Often you have found meaning and purpose and even a set of beliefs about life and its mysteries outside of maybe how you were raised, outside of Catholic, Jewish, Protestant, Christian, or other faiths. And I'll just counter by saying, no one can be spiritual in a vacuum. All learning, all learning requires the input and support of others. I can walk, read, and think because of parents and teachers and friends and strangers. So I hearken back to the origin of the word religion. It means to bind or bundle us, all of our intelligences, the whole spectrum, all 11 benefit from instruction. And we are here at church to instruct each other, and we are here to accept instruction. We are both teachers and learners, and that wily ego is dishonest. It's that dishonest voice who claims, ha, you can do life alone. It seduces. It says we can be spiritual but not religious. Yet in reality, it's in the company of others, also seeking and learning, where we're held accountable for our choices. So spirituality is a framework for learning a specific kind of learning. And I repeat, it's not woo-woo, voodoo. It's careful research done in community. And it provides the necessary tools to face hate, evil, and death, as well as cultivate love, compassion, and creation. It weakens the ego for a refreshingly clear-eyed view into reality. May it be so.